0: And coming up on today's episode, why have Canadian politics become so polarized? Stephen Van Dyne, Senior Vice President of Public Governance at the Institute on Governance, shares research into why Canadians are angry and becoming distrustful of the government. Will our attitudes change? And some men are trying to make themselves taller with surgery. Men's mental health expert and psychologist, Dr. Zach Seidler, tells us why men struggle with their self-esteem and mental health and how we can do it better job of talking about men's mental health. Plus, are you okay with the lottery and more? That's all coming up in the shift daily podcast. This is the shift podcast. All right, let's do some. Are you okay? Are you okay with lottery
1: Mm, the lottery. Uh, I've only ever bought two lottery tickets in my life. I won $5. Um, you know, I think it's fun to like imagine what you could do if you won the lottery, but it's also just like, come on, you're not going to win. You might, but you're not going to win. Uh,
2: you know, I think the scratch tickets are a great stocking uh, stuffer. It's Uh a great gift. I love scratching scratch tickets when I receive them as a gift. Yes. I don't go out of my way to buy them. I went to a very brief period where I was like, I'm going to buy scratch tickets and win money back in my 20s. And after about two weeks of doing that and winning roughly, like, $7, I gave up. And I never bought another scratch ticket.
0: But they're great gifts. They do make fantastic, very fun gifts when you open the card and you see a bunch of scratchers in there. Uh, These are not my words. These are not my words. But it resonated with me when I heard someone uh, important, someone, like, well-written, refer to the lottery as a stupid tax because i think that's kind of what you're referring to ryan when you're kind of like eh, eh, that you know you pay 2 bucks or 3 bucks or 5 bucks or whatever it is a week that you know you could be socking away and have a bunch of money at the end of the year, but instead you're just giving it uh, to the government and the people that fund the lottery because you're probably never going to win, like Ryan said. But we all dream about winning some crazy dough, and you can only imagine what you would do with the prize money. And lotto players in New York were hopeful for a big win this week. Just one problem with the game. The presenter read the wrong numbers.
3: Yeah. America, I'm John
0: Crow. it is Tuesday,
3: May 10th. It looked like any other televised Mega Millions drawing with an $86 million jackpot at stake. The five winning numbers were drawn normally, then...
2: Now for the gold Mega Ball, that is
3: six. Except it's not. A closer look reveals the actual number is a nine. The digit on the ping pong ball underlined to avoid confusion. Not only did announcer John Crow repeat the error... And the gold Mega Ball is six. The six was displayed graphically on screen. That would definitely be mad. I would definitely be mad, but I don't know how they're going to work that out. That's the question. Even today's New York lottery printout of winning numbers lists six as the megaball, though the official page of the multi-state lottery correctly lists nine. So do players with a megaball of six have any recourse? Not really, says attorney Matthew Ayatt, because of a regulation on the books that says, The correct numbers are the ones that are drawn, not the numbers that are reported. And so they anticipated this as a possibility, uh, probably because they thought of a a clerical error would occur and just transcribing what the number was, not that the announcer would call out the wrong number, but be that as it may, it's still, I, in my view, it would apply in this case. There were no grand prize winners with either six or nine as the Mega Ball. In New York, there were two $10,000 prizes with a six. There were nearly 30,000 other players with smaller jackpots, totaling nearly $130,000. Would the state absorb that cost? Possibly, says attorney Ayatt.
0: It's Iatt. not good for the game. Um, from the from the state's perspective, um, if, if people are going around feeling slighted, uh, by the state. So, yeah, it's they, they could absolutely pay out those people if they wanted to. I mean, I get it, but man, I would be pissed. I would be oh so I would be so pissed.
1: Uh that, like
0: hour and a ha- or maybe a
1: couple of hours you won the friggin' lottery. Well, this is what you I'm saying. Are- a millionaire, and then the state of New York goes, uh, 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 uh. <laughs> sorry, we and, made it a whoopsie.
0: No, totally, and I get that. You know, there's all sorts of fine print around these things for reasons just such as this. You know, that it has to be, and it's it's not the mm-hmm. lottery corporation's fault. It's the announcer or whatever who made the mistake, and that guy's probably going to lose his job and stuff. no
2: No. but no if steve harvey could keep his job didn't he do that at the the beauty pageant yeah he read he
0: (laughs) read it's one of my favorite moments in television history when he read the wrong he read the wrong contestant to apologize and (laughs) then he went he yeah (laughs) thank you for reminding me of that and he was like i don't know what happened you guys i'm sorry i'm sorry I read the, it's what's on the card. And he tried to, you're right. But Steve Harvey is Steve Harvey. This guy is, I mean, I don't That's know. true. I it, don't know. Didn't it happen at the Oscars too? Yeah. yeah. Happened, I happens, believe it's all happened over. twice yeah. Yeah. at the Oscars. Yeah. It's it's happened, all but, over. Yeah. But, okay. So, Miss Universe or Miss America or whoever it is, they just give the the thing to the right person. No one is like being given a million, like a million dollars. Or mega millions, right? Like, we don't know how much the jackpot was. It's like an insane amount. And the Oscars, yeah, I don't know. But, I, okay, so if this was you, do you feel like you would try to fight this and try to get some of the yes. money? Absolutely, something. right? Yeah, you have absolutely. To get,
1: in this situation, I feel like you, you deserve something. Compens- like, you can't, just, you can't just do that. You can't just tell someone they're a million. Now, I think it is worth noting that nobody won the full, jackpot but there are still a bunch of people like ten thousand. man if i won ten thousand dollars tomorrow it would be like borderline life-changing yeah that's huge huge. so like that i think you have an obligation it's like you know what when i worked at eb games when i worked in retail if a customer brought up a package or an item at this from you know from the floor that was priced incorrectly maybe ten dollars off thirty dollars off if they brought it up thinking it was thirty when it was actually sixty, but the price tag said thirty, do you want to know what we would do?
0: You give it to him for it thirty them for thirty bucks. Yeah, I feel like the same logic should apply here. Come on, state of and New York, yeah. right? Come on, and also, person who has the ticket with the six on it, we're rooting for you. We're on your side. Are you okay with karma?
1: Yeah, I, I. I karma is kind of like a something like hang over hanging over your shoulder you know whether it exists or not like the just this feeling of like i'm going to do something bad and then you go mm, something maybe bad not. might happen to me reason- mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of reasons why i shouldn't and karma i don't know i i believe in karma i think it's real honestly i do
2: i think a lot of people like they they misuse karma these days like if something bad happens to their adversary they're like ooh karma but it's not really what karma like the original meaning of karma was what you put out into the universe you get back basically um so just because something bad happens to someone you don't like that's not necessarily karma um Karma is a reaction to your action that you put out into the to the universe. So I feel like the definition of karma these days is lost on a lot of the people.
0: Right. So you're saying, Brendan, that it's like, "Hey, I lost, okay, so I'm walking down the street and I found a wallet, and I'm going to mm-hmm. return that wallet to its owner, which yeah. means that when I lose my wallet, mine's going to get returned to me." Or something, something, something like something that. Something
2: good is going to happen to you, like that energy or in the spiritual realm the hippy dippy, as Shane would say. In the woo woo, yeah, the woo woo would be brought back to you. Like a lot of times these days, people are just like, oh, you know, the my my rival tripped and fell. Ha, karma. Well, like, are they no, sort of hoping that
0: maybe that's because the rival did something bad, so now something bad is happening yeah, to I them? I guess
2: to an extent I could see that's how it got sort of convoluted, but yeah, just because something bad not happens to someone you don't like is not right. Really yeah, karma. yeah. So you believe in it? Do I believe in karma? No. Yeah. <laughs> oh.
1: Ryan, but you do. You straight yeah, up believe I, in it. I just, I don't know, there's been enough examples of, you know, of thing. I'd say, I'd say in my example is not like I found, I have found a wallet on the street and and returned it. And you know, the bartender at the bar gave me a beer. That's not, I don't think that's karma. Right. Right. I think karma is kind of like things around me are a little difficult right now. If I stay positive, if I, if I keep doing what I should do, be a good person, that's going to help me out down the line. Right. And things are going to kind of fall. Dominoes are going to fall in my place that like, I honestly believe like Part of that is even how I even got this job. Like the, the a lot of things happened in order for me to wind up on the shift. And they were kind of crazy. Like life got pretty wild. But I stayed true and tried to, you know, like Brendan said, put a good output into the universe. And I got a little bit back. And even if it's not real, I think it's a good guidance.
0: See, and I think right. there you're hitting on the, the rad thing. The, the most important, most raddest thing is if it helps you get through it, you know, get through the day or, uh, live your life in a more fulfilled way. Or in a, if it helps, if it helps you understand, you know, and navigate what's happening, then I say, go for it. I say, I'm all for it. Right? Like I'm like you, Brendan, I don't, I don't believe, I don't believe in it. I don't believe in like I I was in a conversation the other day with a friend who's into crystals and I don't don't, don't, don't buy into the crystals, you know, but (laughs) but if you carrying that crystal in your pocket makes you have a better day and helps you, you know, navigate the traffic better or, you know, feel you feel like you're carry the crystal. I don't care. Go nuts. You know? Like that's kind of how I feel about but see your point, Ryan. Yeah, if it if it helps you get through it, rock and roll. All right, we'll call it universal payback. Sometimes it seems the universe it just makes things happen, right? Police in South Carolina say a man who strangled his girlfriend died of a heart attack while burying her body in the backyard.
1: The Edgefield County Sheriff say evidence shows Joseph McKeenan strangled Patricia Dent inside the home and was burying her in the backyard when he died of a heart attack. They say they discovered Joseph Keenan's body first before finding Dent's body in the backyard pit. Neighbors in Trent, South Carolina are left with plenty of questions after Edgefield County Sheriff's deputy responded to Tanglewood Drive on Saturday and discovered the two bodies. Dunhounds with who lives just a block up from where the bodies were discovered. She said she was concerned and she didn't know there was danger until after those bodies were
0: discovered. I just want to preface this by saying it's never okay to strangle or murder someone, but this person has got to be the dumbest strangler, murderer, body hider of anyone I've ever read about. In right. your backyard? Have well, you like- never watched a movie? You don't bury the body in your backyard. He does not.
1: Well, lots of things were clearly not going right. this guy's way because he was a murderer. Uh, and uh, see, this is this is what I mean. Like, that's a little bit of instant, like, bam, universe is correct. Sure. You. Yeah. That, like that struck that by lightning stuff, type of thing. Yeah.
0: Yeah. But, I mean, come on. Authorities said it appeared he'd nearly finished digging the grave. He put down his shovel, he walked away, and he just collapsed. I guess it's still a tragic story. Uh, The twin sister, Pamela Briggs, said she was shocked and that everybody who met her sister liked her, and she was just full of energy. She was 65 and working. Let's move along. Are you okay with exercise? Oh, well, Brendan uh, Kelly's been waiting for this one. Yeah, yes, yeah. This is his, this is his, uh... Oh, yeah. I this know,
2: is his theater. 100%. Every day. I do it every single day. What I are feel you, weird. What are you
0: on it. now? It was weight training last uh, yeah, we talked. I a,
2: a, a lot of, like, body weight stuff. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, uh, you know, dumbbells. Not heavy dumbbell, Like, extremely heavy. I don't need like, 25, 30 pounds in that range for the most part. It's not mm-hmm. like, you know, I'm not, like, power lifting or anything over here. And I'm trying some new different uh, protein shakes, and it's definitely – I'm definitely increasing in mass. I'll say that.
0: So, okay, I don't want to, like, give you too much power, Brendan, but the last we talked, I was like, oh, I've been running. And you were like, see, I feel like when I run, I gained weight. And, Uh like, honestly, since we had that conversation – I'm like watching myself. I've been like running less, and I've been like, <laughs> you got you got inside my head. <laughs> no, that's only when you run a lot because yeah. you want to eat so no, much, for sure.
2: and your body it doesn't it doesn't like it gets used as you said on that show, it your body gets used to the running,
0: right? Yeah. And it tries to find the most efficient, least calorie way burning to do it. So maybe I need to start weight training too. Uh, Ryan, exercise. What do you do? Uh, well, I
1: walk that's my exercise is i usually get six to eight thousand steps in a day i don't really have a lot of time during the day to work out but i'm gonna force myself because i'm eating better and i think i could just be stronger if i went out but i don't i don't do the gym i don't feel comfortable in gyms I, i don't like it uh so classes i've been looking at some places i'd rather do like a spin class or A class of some kind, and I'd rather try that. And I think that is I think that's
0: something I'm going to try to do this summer and kind of see how it feels. Yeah, that's great. Well, one of the most important parts of staying healthy, as we have discussed, protein shakes, new diet, is eating healthy. And while Taco Bell is delicious, uh, nutritious, not so much. (laughs) And just listen to this ad:
4: Share the road. Share your feelings. Share selfies. Share baby pictures. So many baby pictures. Share, share, overshare. When does the sharing stop? How about with the grilled stuffed nacho from Taco Bell? The first nachos designed not to be shared. It's everything you love about nachos wrapped up and ready to go for $1. 49. Oh, and don't share this
0: ad. <laughs> okay. Uh, it does sound delicious. Uh, does. One man has been on an incredible journey, exercise every single day until that item is put back on the Taco Bell menu. Chris Sandberg decided it was time to get serious about losing weight. By turning his health journey into a TikTok challenge in January uh, of last year, of 2021, uh, Sandberg decided that he began exercising every day until Taco Bell brings back his favorite menu item, the grilled stuffed nacho.
4: Day one of exercising every day until Taco Bell brings back the grilled
5: stuffed nacho.
0: <laughs> he continued. The, can you play that clip again? Just play day that clip. Day one of
5: exercising every day. <laughs> Until Taco Bell brings back the grilled stuffed nacho.
0: The way he says nacho at the end is just so fantastic. Uh, He continued the challenge for a very long time. Day 487 of exercising every day
5: until Taco Bell brings back the grilled stuffed nacho. Get it together, Taco Bell. Do the right thing. Bring it back.
0: He's lost approximately, nacho, 87 pounds in the process, according to Fox 13. By making weight loss fun, he was able to maintain consistency and not burn out. He said he's considered stopping his challenge only twice over 400-plus days, including one time when Taco Bell sent him an entire... Jar of nacho cheese <laughs> I'm Tempting him To go back <laughs> He plans to keep going He said he's made sure his goal was authentic And he says he's learned healthier eating habits But hasn't cut anything Out of his diet There's a separate thing going on here That I would like to address And that is the common man This guy, Chris Sandberg Trying to force the hand of the corporation Right? Mm. Like I like I'm not gonna quit exercising until you bring this back. Like it's Taco Bell. Like they're worth bajillions. Are they they don't care what? Like this is kind of like, um, the people on Twitter who try to get McDonald's to bring back McPizza. It's never coming back. It's been 30 years, hasn't it? (laughs) It's never coming back, right? But I feel like every so often, every few months or whatever, it's like McPizza is trending and people are like, bring it back, bring it back. Guess what, guys? It ain't coming back. They have brought back the McRib like 30 times. The McPizza is not coming back. And it also sounds like the grilled stuffed nachos is not coming. Nacho is not coming back either. Oh, you want nachos with your tacos, here? eh? I sure as heck do. All right, let's rip one more here. Are you okay with grandkids? Uh, I love my
1: grandparents so much. Like, it's I, I'm very blessed to have had amazing grandparents. Most have passed, unfortunately, but so many memories. And uh, God, I want to be a grandpa one day. I gotta be. I'm just gonna be the coolest grandpa. Oh. It's gonna be a long time down the road, but that is a long term bucket list item. Is to be. Papa O'Donnell, like, love it. Well, when you first
2: started there, I thought you were going to say, I love my grandkids, and I was like, whoa, wow. Uh, No.
0: Young Uh, grandfather. As far as I know, (laughs) I do not have any grandkids. (laughs) Yes, a bit ambitious. Uh, You, Brendan, grandkids? Uh,
2: I'm probably never going to have any grandkids. I got to have the kids first, Um, and I'm not a big, like, uh, I don't, you know, I struggle with the whole idea of taking care of a cat or a dog. So sure. A yeah. human? Oh, my goodness. I, I wouldn't be mind adopting, like, an 18-year-old, I guess, maybe, if they were financially
0: independent, too, <laughs> with that being said as well. So, so I don't know. You're, if, you want a friend. That's what you want. Yeah,
2: I don't know if I'm ever going to have any grandkids, but... Uh just got nothing, nothing yeah. against them. No?
0: Sure. Yeah, I'm right in the thick of it, right? I got the two young kids, so my parents are like my parents and my wife's parents. Everybody's really hands-on, and seeing them sort of do the grandparent-grandkid thing, it's, it's actually cool and gets me excited for when that stage of my life comes. There's the parents that really want to be grandparents, right? It's like uh, round two of being a parent, but it's more fun. But a family in India is having a rough patch because the parents are suing their son <laughs> for not having children of their own. They're demanding he and his wife produce a child within a year or pay them compensation of 50 million rupees. That's about 700,000 Canadian dollars. Uh, He says, my son has been married for six years, but they're still not planning a baby. At least if we have a grandchild to spend some time with, our pain will become bearable, they said in a petition. According to DW News, the compensation would include the cost of a wedding reception in a five-star hotel, a luxury car worth $80,000, as well as the cost of paying for the couple's honeymoon in Thailand. The younger couple had since moved to another city and cut off communication with the son's parents. I would say, I think, I I, I mean, I experienced a very little bit of the have grandkids pressure, but nothing like this. Seems like a lot. It's a bit much. It's a bit much. Tone it down, parents, okay? That's not a way to get your kids to have kids if you want to be a grandparent. You know, pressuring them? Not going to do it. This is The Shift Podcast. It's Friday. The weekend. You have made it to the weekend. And uh, spring, summer, it's right around the corner. Uh, And then we're going to get into uh, uh, more... uh, Politic- political stuff. That's what's kind of like everywhere right now. There was a conservative debate uh, just the other night and uh, a lot of people feel uh, passionately about that. I feel like everyone I talk to these days is asking who's going to win the conservative leadership and who's going to be the guy to beat Trudeau and that that I feel like it just never ends the talk about politics, and it feels especially hot right now. There's um, some up-and-coming sort of populist leaders who seem to be uh, ruffling feathers and such, and it feels like things are fairly polarized. And uh, I thought that it would be good to have a discussion about this, Because, well, I'll be honest, I don't really like it. I don't think that it's uh, a good thing that everyone in our country seems to be on, like, one side or the other side. And maybe it's not that way, but that's kind of the way it just feels to me, you know, that people have just sort of picked. Like, hey, I'm going to be conservative and I'm going to go all in on conservatism and whatever the liberals do, it's wrong. Or I'm going to go all in on liberalism and everything that this person does is right and everything the other other guy does is wrong, which, like— That just doesn't work. People make mistakes. There are good things about uh, lots of people, even though that might not be the person that you choose. There's a lot here. There's a lot to unpack here. So to help us kind of get through it, uh, I've invited on uh, our guest, Stephen Van Dyne, and he is a uh, policy expert at the Institute on Governance, and they have just done a huge study on all of this stuff, on polarization, and also found out that uh, this political polarization that's happening right now has created a distrust in government, which in turn creates more polarization, which in turn creates more distrust in government, which has just created this whole bad system for all of us. And I get it. It's not that bad. This is still Canada. It's the best country in the world. But... I, I kind of want to start talking about this as a way to hopefully get out in front of it. So uh, thank you so much for joining us, uh, Stephen Van Dyne from the Institute on Governance. And uh, yeah, talk to me about uh, the polarization that is happening in this country and this article uh, and your findings that it uh, is eroding our trust in uh, government.
4: Yeah, that's uh, that's definitely uh, something that we were picked up in a in a study that we did recently, uh, Scott. We did a uh, we did a study that involved uh, surveying uh, a number of senior public leaders uh, across municipal, uh, provincial, territorial, and federal senior leaders um, across the country, and we asked them what was on their mind. and The report is entitled "Top of Mind" and it's now available. And one of the things that they had observed, and there seemed to be a bit of a consensus, uh, was the fact that <clears throat> that the the narrative that's going on across uh, between politicians across the country is actually affecting their work and their ability to serve Canadians. Right.
0: So, okay, what? Let's maybe let's like start here and and, and maybe unpack this as we go along. So, when we use that term polarization. Maybe even start by breaking that down for people who wouldn't even necessarily, because I think that there's a lot of people who the politics stuff, it's it's heated up so much. It's kind of background for people. What does that even mean that we're polarized towards politics?
4: Well, certainly the uh, uh, you know, that term is, is, is now coming about more and more, but it, it essentially is another way of saying division, right? Sowing the yeah. seeds of division um, and trying to divide, uh, people into camps. And so rather than trying to get to a collective outcome or, or a shared understanding of, of what's necessary, there seems to be a preoccupation amongst the, the political class, uh, to gain points, to uh, make the other side, uh, look inferior, uh, and, uh, incapable. Um, and that comes at a cost.
0: Okay. So now the, the, the title of the article or the one of the pieces of the article indicated that this is causing us to trust our government less. The fact that there's so much division and that they're at attacking, uh, I guess, in some ways, attacking opponents and such. So wh- why does that make us have less trust?
4: Well, uh, certainly, uh, according to the, the, the folks that we surveyed, uh, was uh, believing that what was happening is that the you know, that that institutions, public institutions that are, you know, essentially democratically accountable were being attacked and undermined. So, you know, the ideas, the proposals, the solutions coming forward from those places are being overtly attacked by uh, by other uh, other levels of government or other other political uh, perspectives and and that that sows the seeds of dissent and um and questions and doubt uh, in the minds of uh, the citizens as to whether or not um, those those policies are the right
3: ones
0: yeah and it certainly feels like when you look at the news or you sort of uh, follow along on social media or watch a debate or any of those things that you can you can feel this now is this something that you think has kind of always been there and we're just more aware of it, or has this polarization and this distrust gotten worse
4: recently? So it's more the latter. We we believe that the uh, the survey and study that we did was uh, taken last spring, right? So uh, it was done uh, amongst officials uh, coming out of that wave of the pandemic. Uh, restrictions were starting to to uh, be lifted at that time uh, for for the summer period, and certainly. What all of they, um, all of those that we spoke to or uh, interacted with were basically saying that there were signs of that division happening uh, prior to the pandemic, Uh, but what the pandemic and the situation around the pandemic kind of suggested to them was the fact that those issues were being magnified or even accelerated in some cases. So uh, indeed uh, it seems to be a phenomena that's become more, more um, inflamed, if you will, uh, in, in recent, recent times.
0: Yeah. And, and you mentioned the pandemic because I I was going to ask, was there some thing and I think the pandemic has played a huge part. uh, But the other thing that comes to mind is, Uh, the, the election cycle in the United States, you know, I mean, we're Canadians and I think we identify differently in a lot of ways, but I feel like things felt like they sort of escalated and got a lot more polarized around all of the Donald Trump stuff. But is there a a time or a specific event in your mind that was sort of the kickoff of this or the, the, the starting point or the launch and things sort of built from there?
4: I don't know if you can really put your finger on a particular event or moment in time. I think um, if you, you're, some of your listeners will probably recall uh, an appearance that uh, uh, clerk at the Privy Council at the time was uh, Michael Wernick, uh, had given a, a presentation in front of committee that that received quite a bit of coverage, where he he cautioned parliamentarians about the tone and tenor of um, of political discussion and how that has um you know potentially could breed um you know violence uh in uh in in our in our in our politics and our in our go- governing and sure enough um you know several uh and he was referring to a time well before the pandemic he was um he was actually Speaking to parliamentarians several years ago, but he saw the signs then uh, that it was uh, that those kinds of attitudes were there uh, and that the political discourse was uh, having having an impact on it, both uh, both inflaming, uh, and had, I think he was by em- inference, indicating that he could uh, the politicians could actually adjust that uh, by by their tone. And so uh, the pandemic has come along, and uh, you correctly point out uh, certainly events in the United States, uh, January sixth, and uh, and other types of events. More recently, in Canada, uh, certainly the truckers' uh, convoy um, and and other events are certainly kind of finding their way into the cauldron of. Um, public policy psyche to suggest that, you know, division is there um, and uh, and now, um, you know, there are some some implications of that in terms of um, uh, day-to-day service delivery, Uh, residents in downtown Ottawa, uh, you know, completely cut off from from basic services for for two weeks Um, and, and things that could be even more serious. Mm hmm. So why
0: do you think I mean, if you can speak to this, um, why do you think that as people we are uh, so prone or at least it feels this way right now, so prone to just plant our flag in in one camp and say, I am conservative and I'm not open to any ideas if they come from the liberals or, or anything that's other than conservative. I'm conservative and that means That I, I accept every, like uh, this middle ground has sort of uh, evaporated and we're so likely to just like pick a side and stay with that side. Even if there's things that we disagree with there, it's like, we have to say we're all in on one side or the other. That just feels so weird to me. And I don't know how we got here, but why do you think it's, why do you think that
4: we've come to this place? Well, I'd have to preface my, my comments by saying, you know, first and foremost, I'm not a sociologist or sure. uh, or, or, a, or even a political scientist for that matter. Uh, but I would say um, uh, if you look at the information that's out there and the surveys that are being done, and one of my colleagues, uh, Brad Graham, is doing some really innovative work using uh, artificial intelligence to survey social media to really gain uh, insights on uh, trust, trust in government, trust in our institutions. And, and they examine things through uh, the prism of the, the far left and the far right and everyone in between. So they don't assign um, necessarily political party a- affiliations, but they do look at uh, at the data from, uh, from a far left, far right and, and those in between perspective. Um, so first and foremost, uh, the majority of Canadians aren't of that view uh, mm. that you've described. Right? Okay, so, so right
0: away, that's encouraging to hear. Right. 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 But so if- the
4: majority, majority of Canadians, uh, still remain, uh, very much, uh, middle of the road, uh, looking to, you know, basically find, um, uh, you know, compromise, which is a tra- traditional Canadian value is to find compromise and, and seek understanding. And that's still alive and well, uh, in Canada, um, uh, from coast to coast to coast. Um, I believe what we're what we're witnessing is certainly through the advent of social media and other uh, platforms that um, a vocal um, number, are, a small number, are becoming increasingly more effective in in expressing uh, those uh, those more extreme views, be they far left or far right. And so they're they're given they're they're given the opportunity through various channels to uh, to be loud. Um, and uh, and that therefore um, has an impact in, in in the public environment.
0: Okay, great. Well, I'm encouraged to hear you say that 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 you know that viewpoint is still alive and well and and even the majority because yeah, sometimes it it feels like gosh, all I hear about is you know trucker protest and these people and some say it's a minority and then you see all, all these people on social media who are in support and it can, it can really make you sort of question what's happening out there, but you're right. That is sort of this, you know, it doesn't represent the whole. So I guess my next question would be, is there a way to, to fix this or to, to change this and and how do we go about doing that?
4: Well, that's, I mean, that's the, the, the million dollar question. And, and I think that uh, first of all, I think, um, uh, you know, from the, the conversations that we've had with uh, senior leaders across the country, um, senior uh, public servants are basically saying uh, they, they see it and they see and sense of responsibility on, on doing something about it. So that's mm-hmm. a good sign. Great. Um, what that looks like and how that manifests itself is uh, still uh, to be determined. But the fact that they've acknowledged that there's a role that they should be playing in this, uh, in this situation is, uh, is positive from my standpoint. Um, then you have to sort of look out to other uh, other parts of civil society, including the media. Um, and, and so what are what are others doing that make Canada Canada um, uh, doing about this issue? Because it's not one individual or one particular group's um, responsibility. It's a collective responsibility. So from a citizen level get involved, you know, uh, go to the ballot box, you know, get informed, right? Uh, citizens have a responsibility to, to, uh, to be a part of our society, to be collectively informed and individually informed about the issues of the day. And unfortunately, we're finding that uh, becoming informed about the issues of the day um, is, um, can be tricky um, because there's different competing uh, sources of information that have, um, you know, varying levels of credibility. So, so there you go. I mean, we've got, um, you know, a a collective problem. Uh, We've got many different players that have a responsibility in finding solutions to that problem. And we've got a tricky terrain with which to, um, you know, discern who is actually telling uh, and giving good information. And I, I try to avoid the word truth sure. uh, because um, you know truth is is sometimes a, a loaded term. Uh, but you you, you got to be critical in terms of what information you're consuming and making sure that it's credible and making sure that you you trust the information in order to make your informed improved uh, opinion. And so there, I don't think there are any easy solutions. Um, I think um, certainly the uh, mainstream media uh, are also waking up to this current situation they seem to be uh, speaking and uh amongst themselves on ways to uh, try and break through and reach uh more uh people more directly than what they've done through their traditional means and i'm sure that work will continue uh, but uh but yeah no i think you've uh, scott you've you, you you've actually put your finger on the you know the million dollar question um but there's many different uh, many different hands that need to be involved in in helping us solve it
0: yeah absolutely and as like a a member of of the media you know i this is why i want to sort of have these questions is to say look i i don't want to just simply plant my flag in in one camp or the other i want to educate myself and have conversation and we want to like you know foster dialogue around these things so that we can you know come to a, a decision and i i hate the idea that we just pick you know sort of one person or one party and then just expect them to be faultless you know and that means because we've sided with them we can't ever uh call out any any sort of wrongs that they've done and then conversely uh you the person that you didn't vote for everything that they've done is wrong and it's not possible that they've done some good and it's really interesting time to be sort of talking about this, you know, just even last night was a debate and there seems, there seems to be a very polarizing uh, figure emerging in the conservative party. Do you, and, and I don't mean to be doom and gloom, but do you feel like things are going to get better before they get worse? Or do you feel like we've been through it? And now these conversations like we're having now are starting to happen.
4: I think these kinds of conversations are starting to happen. I think I think um, people are now um, uh, more aware, uh, which is you know where these things begin, right? That's how you start uh, building uh, building a, a plan or some solutions to uh, to a problem. This is first by stating and figuring out that there actually is one. Uh, detecting what you need to do about it uh, will take a little bit of work, but I think uh, implicit in, in in your question and, and some of my answers so far is that there is a, a shared responsibility uh, amongst all the various institutions, be they political parties, uh, be they media, be they uh, the public service, uh, be it uh, other s- civil society actors, uh, including the business community, to, to, to basically, um, you know, think about um, what they need what needs to be done how does their contributions um either exacerbate or ameliorate uh the um the the divisions that are happening in in the country there's canada's you know remains one of the best countries in the world we've got um uh, the the province of newfoundland uh commissioned and you know, an aircraft to go pick up several families from U.K. directly uh, and bring them into uh, to Newfoundland, offering them many of them um, employment right off the plane, and uh, which is a remarkable story. And that's mm-hmm. a, a great Canadian story, where you know Canada has opened its doors to uh, people in vulnerable situations um, over over time in history, and now's another one of those times. Um, the problems that we have as a country, I think, are absolutely. Um, Uh, surmountable we can overcome them I think the 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 divisions are there but it does require uh, what I would call um, uh, some would say short form grown-up conversations Mm -hmm. uh, around uh, around the solutions and that recall and that calls for you know hard conversations difficult conversations and we need to have a space where those difficult conversations can happen without it uh, devolving into you know personal uh, attacks right
0: so absolutely
4: and, and I think there, there lies, you know, sort of a collective challenge is, you know, how do we have the difficult conversations around these hard issues, climate change, um, you know, the, the green transition, you know, all of these things uh, require, um, you, know, um, you know, very robust conversations and we need to have the institutions uh, working effectively and the people in those institutions working effectively to help work through those problems. We've done it in the past, we're in a bit of a tough spot today, Uh, but um, what was heartening uh, by some of the respondents that we spoke to last spring um, was over 75% of these senior leaders from across the country were confident that our public institutions can withstand this current uh, malaise, if you will, uh, that they are uh, resilient enough uh, to To work through whatever you want to define this as being, uh, and that's that's heartening. That's uh, that's good news. And I think um, I think there's work to be done. Clearly, they believe there's work to be done on their behalf, on their on their side. Uh, but there's uh, more work to be done uh, by all the various institutions that make make Canada a great place to be.
0: Gosh, I'm very grateful for everything you're saying that this is surmountable and that, you know, there is that there is some work to be done and and it's difficult and stuff. I I think of the people who, you know, sit down for a holiday dinner with their parents or you know the the clichéd uncle and Oftentimes, it's easier just to not have those conversations and kind of just let it let it be. But that might not always be the right thing to do. So maybe we'll we'll wrap it up by me asking you you this. So if there's people who are listening, who say to themselves, well, okay, yes, I, I agree with what what we're talking about. But where do I where do I go to get my information, because we've talked about the mainstream media, we've talked about the business community, we've talked about uh, putting some responsibility on our leaders. Uh, do you have resources or is there a place that a person could start reading or websites that we could visit to sort of say, this is how we combat this. This is how uh, you can search out I, I suppose like uh, authentic media or this is, this is a resource that you could share with people or use to educate yourself about, about these type of things.
4: Uh, there's a variety out there for sure. Uh, certainly I would um, encourage people to check out um, the uh, Institute on Governance governance.ca. Uh, dot, uh, dot uh, we've got a number of different materials and various issues of the day. Uh, there are other wonderful um Thoughtful uh, organizations like the um, Institute of Research of Public Policy (IRPP) they produce um, uh, a document which is free uh, called "Policy Options" that comes out uh, both digitally and um, and in in hard form. Um, they're um, they're very reputable. They're they're they have some great resources at their uh, proposal at their disposal. There's also the Public Policy Forum. Um, but even even out west, uh, you know, the Fraser's Institute uh, certainly is known to, um, to to have a particular perspective on, on things, and and but that perspective is is absolutely valid, and they do do their work, and they do uh, have um, uh, some some very uh, strong economists that uh, that that support them in their research. Um, so, what I I guess as a general tip, um, you know, be clear on what issue that you're concerned about. Just try to, to figure out, okay, just ask yourself the question, what is it about this issue that has, has my interest? You know, what, what am I most concerned about? What am I um, fearful of? What am I hopeful for? And then start your journey in terms of different uh, information sources that are out there you know, from, from traditional media to, to that, that that's available on the internet, et cetera. But be critical, be critical of, of what you click on and, uh, and go deep. Um, the Canadian Security Intelligence Service (CSIS) has um, has recently been been becoming more um, public in, in, in advising uh, Canadians about being um, uh, mindful of uh, the information that they're that they're reviewing and to be mindful of what they're forwarding <laughs> and what they're re forwarding. Mm-hmm. And I think. That's that's new. That's new for uh, for Cana- Canada's uh, security agency CSIS to be uh, talking to Canadians very plainly. You know, um, you know, you you have a responsibility to on this uh, misinformation disinformation, um, uh, you know, cycle to be either a part of it or to to to, to help reduce it. And uh, they're asking us all to uh, to play a play a role in that.
0: Fantastic, Stephen Van Dyne, Senior Vice President of Public Governance at the Institute on Governance. Uh, thank you so much for your time and for the work that you're doing uh, for our country, and to you know keep keep try to keep us on the on the right path here. Um, yeah, I really appreciate your time uh, on the show, and and uh, wish you all the best in the work that you do.
5: Thank
4: you, Scott. Have a great day, and all the best to your listeners. This is the Shift Podcast.
0: We are going to get into a topic here that uh, I I like to talk about. I like to talk about this stuff. I consider myself an open book uh, because I experience a lot of this stuff personally, and I don't think enough people are talking about it. I talk about it with my friends, with my buddies. But I don't think that it gets, like, beyond that enough. And that thing is mental health. Uh, there's been a lot of talk about mental health, like, in in the culture recently uh, that, you know, we, we're starting to recognize as a society that mental health is a problem and we need to address it more. And that's wonderful and it's great and I love it and I'm very glad for that. But does it feel like maybe there's a divide in who is talking about it? I think the people that aren't talking about it enough that need to be are people like me, guys, men. Uh, And men just, I I feel like they don't really seem to talk about... Uh, the mental health thing, uh, 877 If you want to weigh in on this, uh, we would love to hear from you, but I'm, I'm re- Brendan. Do we, is that, do we have to, doc- oh, we do. Thank you. So I have this phone to my left that it doesn't have any lines lit up on it, which is why you gave me the thumbs up. Uh, I'm proud and I'm glad to welcome our guest, Dr. Zach Seedler. Am I saying that right? I really hope I am. Uh, Thanks so much
5: for being on the shift tonight. How are you? Thanks, Scott. I'm great. I'm coming to you all the way from down under in Australia. It's great to be here. Fantastic. Is it Seedler or Seidler? I just
0: want to make sure I get it right.
5: it is Seidler.
0: Okay, Zach Seidler. Thanks so much for being with us. Uh, Dr. Zach Seidler is a uh, psychologist, an expert in men's mental health. Uh, thank you so much for being here. Let me just start by asking you this. Why do you suppose it is, or, and maybe this is just me, maybe I'm wrong about this, but it feels like men don't talk about mental health the same way that women do.
5: Oh, you're you're bang on the money there. I I think that that's the key, that that men don't talk about it in in the same way. There's a lot of stereotypes about the fact that men don't seek help, men don't talk about what's going on in their lives, and I don't really buy that. I think, in fact, we do. We just do it in really different ways. And so what we need to understand is how are guys expressing what's going on for themselves? How are they connecting with their friends? What are they saying? What's going on for them and how can we actually try and help them? Because the statistics are pretty dire. You know, we don't need to go through them. But if you, if you look around, men are, uh, men are struggling much more than they need to be, especially in the, the wake of COVID. So we've got a long way to go, but there's some awes- awesome initi- initiatives out there who are doing good work.
0: That's fantastic to hear. But yeah, it does. It does sort of feel like that, like this, this kind of long way to go. And like, I don't mind saying this. I talk about this all the time. Uh, So I have had fantastic experiences in my life as a result of going to therapy. It's like one of my favorite things to do. I would go like every day if I could. It's helped me sort of uh, figure out a lot of the things that I, that I have wrestled with, be that uh, anxiety or uh, depression, or even just kind of working out how to process various things in my life, like moving or relationships or children and stuff. It's just the best thing. And, and I, that's been sort of my experience. And I talk to a lot of people who also go to therapy. And then I talk to some of my friends who are guys. And as soon as I mention, like we, we talk, like you said, men talk about it with their buddies and their friends and stuff. But as soon as you talk about getting professional help, it almost seems like a wall goes up there. Why is that? Mm.
5: Oh, firstly, thank you for keeping my job alive. (laughs) I appreciate that. (laughs) You can come and see me every day if need be. But the, uh, the, the idea around sharing this stuff and doing it in the open, um, you know, is rife with stigma and shame. There's a for some reason, there's this narrative around your mental health that comes with this idea of weakness and vulnerability instead of seeing it as an opportunity for growth, empowerment, self betterment, which is really what we try to to sell. And, you know, I work for, for Movember, which is the uh Shield sure. factory. Yep. And um that that's the way that we that's the way that we see men's mental health. It's, it's about improvement, self-improvement and seeing opportunities for growth. But the way that it's kind of sold at the moment is you need to be sick or crazy to go and see a therapist. And it's so broken, that mentality, because we know there are so many opportunities where you can just go and talk stuff out. You know, you can problem solve. You can seek strategies for your relationships, for your job. There doesn't need to be anything wrong necessarily. But, yeah, this this idea that men just don't talk about it, they're not willing to share that they go and see someone compared to, you know, if they go and see a physiotherapist, everyone will tell you how good they are. But God forbid they actually sit down and say, oh, man, my therapist is dope.
0: Yeah, it's really interesting. I had a conversation with a friend of mine and I I suggested the idea of therapy to him and he, he was so put off by it because he was like, man, if I open that box and mm-hmm. and get help from a therapist i might have to like keep going and continue to get <laughs> help from the therapist and i was like well yes <laughs> like that's that's the idea man you want to go until mm-hmm. like you you feel you know like we go see the doctor every time we get mm-hmm. sick we don't go once and then expect to never have to go again there's just this weird sort of thing around it but I, yeah and i think having conversations like this we really start to to change that perception and such. But I, I discovered a, an interesting article, and I'd love to get your take on this. Uh, I, I, and I wasn't even aware that this was a thing, but our producer, Ryan, sent me this article uh, about a procedure that is is really growing amongst men. And that is the idea of have, having surgery to, to actually change your height. Now, mm-hmm. leave aside the idea that science and medicine is wonderful and can heal people and provide procedures like this but it's interesting to think about it that way because we sort of perceive s- physical procedures like whether it's a nose job or uh, a boob job or whatever those are things that that women do and the idea that a man would would undergo some sort of a surgical procedure to change the way he looks physically that's mm-hmm. not something that that we normally associate with men, the idea of us caring so much about our about our looks, but it kinda sounds like maybe that's not the case, hey?
5: Mm, yeah. So there's oh, this is a this is a big black box to try and open up. But there's a lot to be said for the fact that male vanity and insecurity when it comes to, you know, physicality has, has been something that just hasn't been spoken about or really researched or looked into you know these procedures to start with are pretty suspect at the best okay. of times. um so first off i'll put out that caveat that you don't want to just go to some woo-woo doctor talking about friday the 13th sure and um and uh you know get your legs broken and, and extended that's some old school communist russia stuff but what we what we really are looking at here is the fact that uh, the male body and the way that it looks and the way that it performs and the interactions that it has, particularly in, in heterosexual relationships, where there's you know all of these stereotypes around women wanting a taller guy, um, it it leads to the fact that these masculine ideals of of strength, of power, of ability um, start to become you know, inflamed in some ways in these situations. And so when guys start to have these insecurities and if society continues to tell them that they're not good enough one way or another rather than preaching acceptance, which is always going to be uh, better for everyone, uh, you end up with guys who, you know, are dealing with typically, you know, quite a bit of anxiety around their appearance or their relationships. And therefore they're going and trying to seek ways to dampen that to to reduce it and help them get through and and you know in many ways they're seeing cosmetic surgery one way or another as as the answer for that but you know i often look at it as a putting a blanket over a fire you know the the issues underneath are still going to be there no matter if you've got another three inches
0: yeah absolutely and that's a fantastic way to put it is this idea of, of sort of putting a blanket over a fire and it's it's a, It's a really interesting thing, like you say, this black box to sort of try to dive into, because there is there's so much there in in a sense, this kind of double standard between uh, women who get cosmetic surgery and men, and even the idea that a, a a person who may struggle with the idea of like, gosh, you know I, w- I wish I was taller uh, that it almost feels like like for example, in the article that ryan sent me that addresses this you know that even even saying that felt demeaning so how how do we combat
5: this yeah it's it's a tough one therapy helps sure <laughs> yeah i'll say that um, yeah absolutely but, but, to, but talking talking to your friends and and you know in an, the problem is is that this whole situation is just covered in shame one way or another and so what happens is that it becomes a silent internal narrative Uh, You know the word rumination where you just go over and over this stuff again and again to the point where you're not voicing it and therefore it starts to actually calcify and become something that you don't know how to deal with and that you need to find an answer for rather than if you talk about something or joke about it or start to understand what it is and why it's there and what impact it's having on you, you can begin to accept it for what it is. We're given one body. And if it works, and it, you know, short dudes, everything tends to work just as well as as taller guys. And so, I think that uh, understanding, um, you know, that nothing—it's it's an ideal of perfection that everyone is trying to seek. They just want to add stuff on, and and where does it end? Is always a question. And you know, when I'm talking with my friends about this stuff, because I'm a pain in the ass as a friend, I can assure you, um, just trying to get to the bottom of some of this stuff around insecurities and. And how we can just start to to accept what we've got and and you know strengthen it if nothing else
0: yeah i and I love that you say that that you're a pain in the ass uh of a friend you know. And I think I I think I know what you're getting at there.
5: Hopefully a good
0: one. Yeah, that, and, and I, I, like I said, I think, I think I know what you're getting at there because I, I want to kind of try to do that same thing. And because, you know, I have some experience with, with mental health work and seeing a therapist and all this sort of stuff. And I try to be as open as I can with my buddies to try to, you know, normalize it and stuff. But mm. so often they just, you know, if it's, if it's not received, if it's not like they kind of take it and they're just like, Oh yeah, that's fine. That's your thing. That's whatever. Uh, so how, maybe talk to me about that. Like how you, okay, so this is my friend and we're just going to mm. go for beers and I want it to just, you know, be casual and let, let him know that I'm his friend and that I love him no matter what. But I also want to try to like help him and show him that, you know, it's okay and it's safe to talk about Mm. this stuff. And, you know, actually, like I tried to tell my friends, I'm like, this is like going to the gym. It's like going to the gym for your brain and it's going to make all the things that you want to do with your life. You know, you want to be a better at at business, at your job and your marriage, it's going to make you better at all of those things. But how, like, how do you communicate that to Mm. your friends?
5: You've got it. You've got a damn good pitch going on there. I think that idea of 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 a gym and of growth and of empowerment and coaching you know I do performance coaching that's really what good therapy should be it's getting you to to perform optimally one way or another so I definitely bring in that angle but as you said before you know you said that there's a friend who said I don't want to begin because it'll never end Uh, but what I what I often say is like what are we here for if you're just turning a blind eye to everything like why do you not want to know what's going on in your life and how to improve this stuff it's not that it's going to begin and never end it's that you're not dealing with it in any way so there's no growth going on there's no knowledge coming out of it so that's often an angle but really when i'm sitting down with with my friends or, or, or talking to someone who um you know hasn't grappled with some of this stuff before is afraid of therapy it typically comes down to misunderstanding you know they think they're going to lie on a couch and talk about their mum for an hour which you know some people do but largely it's not how it works and so i talk about my own journey often, and it sounds like you do that as well, you know, self-disclosure. And rather than pinning it on him to open up, uh, you know, showing your own cards and showing what you've been through um, often gets them, you know, ready to ready to talk. And And really, I think the most important thing is just relentlessness. You know, I'm pretty consistent with the way that I go about this. And so time and place is so important. So I don't push if they're not ready. But them just knowing that I'm that guy that they can come to if if they need, um, tends to be pretty useful. And I reckon that you can be that that guy as well. That if and there's plenty of listeners as well who can who can be that friend just to break the ice and and understand that um, there's no need for awkwardness or discomfort here. You know, it is this can be life saving stuff. And they might not open to you up up to you right now, but you know in 3 weeks time when shit hits the fan they may well give you a call and say oh i remember that that thing and i think i might need to do something about it
0: yeah i love that and that idea of relentlessness and just you know sharing sharing your own experience and and talking about it like it's just the most normal thing and i think one of the things that i realized that was so like almost freeing, you know? So let me give you an example. It's like, oh, I'm, I'm nervous about uh, uh, talking to this this girl, you know, like I'm happily married, but let's just use this as like a hypothetical. <laughs> I'm nervous about talking to this girl and I see all these other guys who are, who are like much better at it than I am and he's taller than I am and he's better looking and he's got a, a higher paying job or a cooler car or whatever. But once you understand that underneath all of that, That blanket that you were talking about before, Mm. everybody feels the same way. We're all freaking out. Everybody's insecure. Everybody's freaking out. No one's got it under control. It's all just (laughs) a facade. Then you understand that, like, it's like it's we're all going through this thing together. Like, no one's got it figured out, right? If
5: anything, the people who look like they've they've got it together should be suggesting that they don't so that everyone can break down this facade.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So let me ask you this because I I know that, like I said, I'm I'm sharing so much of my own life here, but I know that there are people who, who say they, they look at people in their life and they think, ah, I can tell he's struggling or I think she's wrestling with something. What are some of the signs that you look for that somebody is, uh, struggling mentally?
5: Hmm. I think the really key thing to pay attention to is a change in character. And it's not spoken about that often. We always talk about, oh, he's down and depressed and he's not answering phone calls or, uh, you know, he's lying on the couch and crying himself to sleep every night. It doesn't need to look like the stereotype. It can just be if they were a certain way and suddenly you're seeing over the past couple of weeks that they're suddenly responding to things in ways, you know, they're suddenly agitated and angry when they weren't previously or, you know, they're not answering your calls and um, they're isolating themselves from you. It's that type of thing um, where if you think about the way that your relationship has been and now suddenly something has changed and there's potentially no reason for it, you want to be picking up and spotting some of those signs. So it's obviously there are, you know, the key things which are fatigue and and irritability and not sleeping and changes in weight. And um, those are, those are your pretty typical ones. But I would say just thinking about a change in, in character and what you're used to with, with someone you love and, and noticing that there have been shifts and asking them about it, you know, straightforwardly because, you you're much better just getting on top of this stuff early than you are keeping it to yourself and and not wanting to rock the boat as we say
0: it's it's really brilliant stuff and i just appreciate your take and the way that you are approaching all of this just it it feels healthy and it feels approachable so i just want to get your thoughts on uh, one last thing here while we still have just one more minute i'm on your i'm on your twitter and uh, give me your thoughts on the new Kendrick Lamar album. Oy. <laughs> we were, we I were just. It was- We were just talking about it off the air uh, with the producers here, Ryan and Brendan, and uh, we're hip-hop fans. And it was like, oh, the new Kendrick Lamar album just came out tonight. He hasn't put an album out in five years. You say it's literally a masterpiece in breaking down masculinities, grief, trauma, and relationships. It underpines his message to the listener to reflect on their place as men in our society.
5: Mm, That's good. Who wrote that? (laughs) Awesome, but uh, I think that the key the key here is that how good is it that hip hop is now grappling with this stuff like and it's front and center and it's unapologetic he's talking about um you know the tough things and and there are going to be young dudes out there listening to this being like oh man Kendrick struggles Kendrick is going through this stuff and he's he's willing to talk about it so I reckon you know how good to have role models out there that we can look up to who are willing to to show the good bad and ugly it's brilliant
0: stuff um dr zach seidler thank you so much for your time and for sharing some of this stuff with us and uh dr dot er, seidler.com is your website and there's some great information there about movember and a bunch of other stuff but yeah i just i really appreciate this conversation and you uh joining us on the show tonight so thank you so much